This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. This is Anne-Marie Schieber from Healthcare News. Well, today we're going to talk about organ donation, a topic that doesn't usually come up in general conversation. Now, you may read about it in the news when somebody donates an organ, and you certainly see it on the back of your driver's license, a box that you can check if you want to be an organ donor if you die. Um, Few people know exactly how organ harvesting is done and the criteria that is used to determine when you are legally dead. Uh, And for some organs, you cannot be dead. And I don't think many people realize that. Uh, And sometimes this gets us into troubling ethical and legal questions. I invited on the podcast today, Dr. Heidi Klessig. She is an anesthesiologist, retired, and a pain management specialist who has written and spoken quite a bit about this topic, most recently in an article that caught my attention in American Thinker. And, and much of her work can be found on the website respectforhumanlife.com. Welcome. Well, thank you so much, Anne-Marie. Well, Dr. Klessig, a few people realize that um, you have to be alive to donate an organ. Can you explain that? Yes, I'd be happy to. Um, People that have been to high school biology have a pretty good understanding, I think, of of what an organ is. Organs are are pretty complex tissues in our bodies, things like our kidneys, our heart, our liver, our lungs. Uh, These organs, they rely on a continuous supply of oxygen and nutrition through the bloodstream to remain viable. Um, They're so complex that once the blood flow stops, they very quickly begin to break down and become unsuitable for transplant. So our thesis that helps people understand what we're talking about is that organs, things like the heart, liver, lungs, and kidneys, can only come from someone whose heart is beating, whose lungs are breathing, even with a ventilator, to provide those organs with oxygen and nutrition to remain viable. Once a person's heart stops, they very quickly begin to break down and are no longer suitable for transplant. This is different from what doctors call tissues. Tissues are things like our corneas, our skin, our bone. Tissues are very simple structures, and they are not so dependent on having continuous uh, blood flow. They can indeed be ethically donated. They can be harvested from a corpse, someone who is biologically dead, whose spirit has departed and returned you know, to the Lord who gave it. So tissue transplant is not on the table here. I'm not at all at issue with that. Organs, however, have to be taken from a living donor. And I can demonstrate that for your your listening audience very simply. Have you ever wondered why there is a transplant waiting list? I mean, a lot of people die, but there's people waiting for an organ. So if we want to take some simple numbers, last year, um, about one and a half million registered organ donors died. And there were only about 100,000 people on the waiting list for a transplant. So if indeed dead people could donate organs, that would work out to 15 organs per waiting recipient, Mm. which is a lot more than we need. But if you would think about it even further, every organ donor can donate up to eight organs. And if you do the math on that, that would mean if dead people could donate organs, 
there would be 120 organs for every person on the waiting list. So clearly dead people cannot donate organs or we wouldn't have a waiting list at all. We'd have a tremendous surplus. So what is the criteria that is used when you're living and they want to harvest your one of those organs? Well, this started way back in 1968. Uh, a committee at the Harvard Medical School decided that they would redefine people in an irreversible coma as dead, just by the stroke of a pen. I mean, they had no new tests. They did no studies. There was no evidence that people in an irreversible coma were dead. Uh, the committee's main reason for redefining uh, the historic, you know, millennia-old definition of death was to provide a source of viable organs for transplant by declaring people who have beating hearts and whose souls are still in their bodies as now dead. And then in 1981, the Harvard Committee's redefinition of death was codified into law, and it, there is a version of this law in all 50 states uh, under the Uniform Definition of Death Act. And, and what that states is that you can be declared dead if you have either the irreversible cessation of your heart and lung function or the irreversible cessation of all functions of your entire brain, including the brain stem. Now, on the face of it, that doesn't sound terribly uh, controversial, but the devil is in the details. And the problem is that doctors really are not always able to determine what is irreversible. You know, doctors are not God. They can't project the future. They don't know for certain that these diagnoses are irreversible. And in fact, in the case of a brain death diagnosis, Dr. Alan Schumann, who's a pediatric neurologist at the UCLA Medical School, has found over 175 people who continue to live after a brain death diagnosis, some for over 20 years. You know, on our website, we've just put up a survivor's page, and we have the stories of many people who were given a diagnosis of brain death and lived to tell the tale. I mean, some just had family who wanted a second opinion. One family got four opinions, and now their son has has become an accountant. He was certainly not dead in any sense of the word. Um, one of the young men was able to listen, though he was lying on a hospital bed, very sick, unable to move, and heard his parents discuss with the doctors making him an organ donor, unable to move, unable to sign, very angry. Thankfully, one of his cousins, who was a nurse, didn't believe he was dead either, and pushed down on his toenail with, with a penknife, and, and thankfully, Zach was able to move his leg and show people he wasn't dead. You know, one of the survivors on our page actually opened up her eyes on the operating room table oh, about oh my goodness it. wow so these well, things doctors don't know that this is irreversible is my problem with it yeah and they're working in a critical situation they've got to make a decision sometimes family aren't present not that that even matters as as you were telling me earlier so um i i guess what Going back to what I said earlier, many people think this is a good thing, and they don't put a lot of thought into it. They're, they're not educated about it. I'm learning new things. I thought I knew everything and um, on this, and, and you really, if you sign this card, you're pretty much letting them uh, make the decision. Is that kind of the case? That is correct. And, and one of the injustices in this system that really bothers me is that in the medical literature, doctors argue fiercely about the, you know, the truth or falsity of these diagnoses. And, and 
the public is being kept in the dark. I mean, the public just hears the the drumbeat, sign that owner card, you know, that donor card, be a be a good altruistic citizen. And they're never told the, the facts and the, the medical debate going on uh, right now. So yes, that, that is the that is part of the tragedy here. Now you wrote an article that I read and I was again coming out of this in left field because they didn't know much about this topic, but you talked about uh, this procedure that's being used. Uh, where there's circulatory death and brain death and where they actually shut off blood supply to the brain so they can keep the body going to harvest these organs. Now, once you do that, is it possible when you shut off oxygen to the brain? um, Tell me what's really going on there. You're, You're basically making the person brain dead, which really does raise some troubling questions. Can you talk a little more about that? Sure. Um, in the 1990s, you know, in the continual search for more more organs, uh, doctors began to look for another donor pool. People who are not brain dead, but but they're very ill and, and they're not expected to survive. So doctors approach these uh, families and say, you know, your your loved one is is not expected to live. I know they're not brain dead, but could we withdraw their medical care in such a way that would allow them to donate organs? And the way they do this is they, they take the person down to, to the operating room. The, the transplant team is ready, scrubbed in, ready to go. And they withdraw the ventilator. They withdraw any medications or drips. And they wait till the person's heart stops. And then they wait an interval. You know, there's no standard. It was two minutes in Wisconsin. I think it's five minutes in Canada. It's I I heard they waited a whole 75 seconds to harvest a baby's heart in Colorado. And then if the heart doesn't spontaneously restart, then the surgery begins. Um, The problem that a lot of medical professionals have with this practice is we know that people are routinely resuscitated within, you know, two to five minutes, up to 10 minutes after someone's heart stops. I mean, if if you're out in the community and someone collapses, think how much time it takes for someone to get them uh, on, on the floor to evaluate them, to see if there's a defibrillator nearby, to remove their clothing. If it's, it's a big burly guy, you have to shave his chest before the patches will stick. The defibrillator has to go through its startup and warm up. It's at least two to five minutes before even a shot can be given. But if they can jumpstart your heart, many of these people can be taken to the hospital, their underlying problem corrected, and they can walk out of the hospital perfectly fine. So the, the issue with this is people whose hearts have stopped in the short interval of time are resuscitatable. Their, their soul has not left their body. These people are still alive. So doctors also know this, and, but they want those organs. They want the heart. So what they do is after that two-minute wait, they open you up and they clamp off the circulation to your brain, making you brain dead on purpose. Mm-hmm. And then they perform a resuscitation of the rest of your organs. And they actually, uh, with that resuscitation, they restart your heart in your chest. And then they can evaluate, is the heart still healthy enough to, to be transplanted? But remember, the, the Universal Determination of Death Act, the legal standard, states that you have to have an irreversible cessation of your heart and lung function. Ah. So I'm, I'm here to say how irreversible is that if you could restart your heart in your own chest i think that that's playing fast and loose with both the spirit and the letter of the law under the udda yeah 
How, how long has this have uh, hospitals been using that procedure? Um, the the restarting of the heart in the chest has been fairly new. That's been in the last five five years or so. Okay, and. Um, has it raised red flags? I mean, have some doctors said, no, this is wrong, and have some people stopped it? There's, there's actually, they've actually banned the uh, procedure in Australia because of ethical concerns. And one of the larger medical uh, bodies, the American College of Physicians, has asked for a pause in, in the practice because they do not believe the ethical uh, and legal standard and questions have been fully answered. But I just read an article on, on MedPage today that, you know, centers are vigorously pursuing opening up this transplant option in their hospital. There are, you know, there are, I've, when I do my talks, I can show people the University of Nebraska protocol for exactly how they do this. This is an expanding practice in our country. Wow. Is there a legal and ethical way, acceptable way to donate these particular organs, heart, lung, kidneys? Uh, what, what was yeah, I, I, I certainly don't want to give your audience the impression that all transplants are unethical or bad because that is not the case. Uh, we have a lady in our community who donated a kidney to her daughter, and that daughter's kidney has been working for over 20 years. And that's a beautiful thing. I mean, it's a wonderful thing when both the donor and the recipient remain alive after the procedure. And so I think it is a, a laudable, wonderful tremendously great thing if you know someone who needs an organ like a kidney that you can donate and remain alive. I think people should certainly pursue that. We have a, a nurse that I, I worked with who received a kidney from a total stranger, a, a woman who just felt the need to be um, of help to someone in need and, and donated her kidney. And, and the nurse I worked with has been benefited tremendously from that. I also want to emphasize tissues. Once you're biologically dead, you are a corpse. Your family's questions about your death have been answered. You can tell your family, please let me be a, a tissue donor and, and donate your corneas, donate skin or bone or heart valves. All of that is completely ethical. Um, the, the problem comes up with organs like the heart. You know, the heart, we would love every person who needs a heart to be able to receive one. Uh, I have nothing but compassion for people who are in need of a heart transplant. On the other hand, I have so much compassion for the person uh, that's sort of hidden on the other side of the equation. You know, the person who's very ill in a hospital, and while they are biologically alive, while their soul is still in their body, while they still may have a measure of awareness, they are being taken often without anesthesia and having their hearts removed. You know, who speaks for that person? I think mm. we have to have compassion for that person as well. You know, I'm sorry that people are waiting for a heart transplant, but I really believe that if we hadn't been pouring all of our time and money and research dollars into the current unethical system, I think doctors would have found better solutions for people, either to augment the hearts these people have or to provide a, you know, an, a different artificial heart. I think new treatments need to be developed, and those, those scientific pursuits are not getting funded. Yeah, and, and I've even read about animal organs. I mean, has there been robust research with that, or is that just too off the charts? Well, this, this last year, earlier this year, uh, a gentleman, uh, his name was David Bennett Sr., received uh, a heart from a pig that had been genetically modified, and 
he lived for about 45 days. Uh, sadly, he uh, died as a result of a, a pig virus, a, a porcine cytomegalovirus that had sort of hitched a ride on that donor heart, and, and he died of that illness. You know, it would be nice if we could find an animal source. You know, the, there are ethical questions with that as well. I mean, that pig heart had been genetically modified by a private company, so we don't know just what they did. The question would be, you know, where did they get the human genes uh, to put into that pig heart to make it more acceptable? I would, I would tend to think it might involve fetal tissue, which would be an unethical source. But, you know, science can figure out a lot of interesting and, and amazing things. And if we would, we would work on ethical channels, I think that we could develop those. Yeah, we, you know, we've seen that in other areas where we start going down one path and we get very advanced in it and nobody wants to turn back or ask the obvious questions. And you look, I mean, some of these hospitals, this is a huge, these are huge undertakings, these heart transplant centers. They brag about being transplant uh, centers. And um, again, I don't think a lot of people realize what goes into the organs. And then I don't know if you want to comment on this, but I've also read some concern about um, organs just not being matched. So if they're, they, they don't get to the person on time, which would be really sad if the, you know, the, the organ didn't even get to a recipient that we've had this kind of convoluted matching system. Are you able to comment on that? I know that's been getting some attention. Yeah. You know, the transplant industry is big business, and that's part of the reason that this is this continuing unethical system has been perpetuated. You know, the body that, you know, you and I give away for free is worth up to $5 million, which is a wow. lot of money in play. And so this drives a, a lot of the practices. I was just looking at an actuarial company's report. It's called the Milliman Report, and they were reviewing the, the three-year survival outcomes of uh, transplants. And the interesting thing is in the, the last three years that the Milliman report studied, transplant survival rates were uniformly down for one year and five year survival rates. So, you know, this current unethical system, things are not getting better, it's getting worse. And yeah. so I really think it needs to be changed. Well, knowing that, I don't think I want an organ ever, <laughs> you know, unless it's from somebody who survives, um, you know, and I, I don't know. I mean, maybe you can refuse from that and just say, I'm not, I want to be a candidate for this. Um, and I think a lot of this too does come down to informed consent. So we talked earlier about, you know, you can check the box and the back of your driver's license. I noticed on my iPhone, there is a simple check mark you can make to donate organs, it gets you right into an app. I didn't realize and this existed until I lost my phone and somebody who found the phone punched this thing up, got into my phone. I guess you can get into emergency information on somebody's iPhone without their password. But I'm seeing this thing, it's right up at the top, donor, donor. And so, you know, knowing this, um, people over the years may not have been educated about it. Is it possible that you might have signed a card that exists somewhere that's in a record system and when you go to the hospital and your family members aren't there, uh, they take your organs? Well, the, the statute that covers this is called the Uniform Anatomical Gift Act. 
and that was originally passed in 1968, and it's been revised over the years. The most recent revision was in 2006, and the, the language on the most recent revision is that you must have a specific refusal to donate. Otherwise, if you come into the hospital incapacitated and your family members can't be reached, and if you have no specific refusal to donate, the hospital administrator is authorized to donate your organs for you, which is pretty terrifying. I mean, here's a person whose who's interests really lie in what money can be made from your organs, not in your best interest. So what we recommend is that people, number one, you know, don't sign a donor card. Or if you have signed a donor card, you can go down to the Department of Motor Vehicles and for something like $14, you can have that changed. But still, that may not be enough. So on our website, we link to a, a, a refusal card that comes from the Halo Voice people, and they've done a lot of work on this. And you can download a specific refusal card. You can have it signed and witnessed. They recommend you just fold it around your driver's license so that you will meet the criteria of the 2006 uh, statute that you have to have a specific refusal. Wow. Do you ever get pushback on your site? And <laughs> I'm just curious. Yeah. Well, you know, this is the thing. I, I have I have so much compassion for people on this because back when I was in medical training, I, I wasn't thinking about this. And when I was a young woman uh, becoming an anesthesiologist, I took a, a young man whose heart was beating. He was breathing on a ventilator. He looked like every ICU patient I'd ever cared for. And I brought him down to the operating room, and, and I was, you know, I wasn't really thinking. I was just sort of following what I was told. And I participated in his medical murder by removal of his organs. And I tell you, I feel nothing but horror, guilt, shame, and regret that I didn't think for myself. I did what I was told. I, I basically legally committed murder on that man, and I'm covered by every aspect of the law. But, you know, I'm, I feel that that guilt will be with me for the rest of my life. And, and if it wasn't for our Lord Jesus Christ and, and his offer of forgiveness for one and all, I don't know how I could be here speaking to you today. So I want to offer that. I mean, this practice has been going for over 50 years. So I'm, there are many people who have been touched by this, either as a medical professional, as someone who's perhaps received an organ, not knowing because you know you were lied to that it came from someone who was murdered to procure it, I talked to a man who gave a beloved brother to be harvested, not knowing what he was putting his brother through. I mean, this, mm -hmm. we need to offer forgiveness and compassion to one and all on this topic. But we also need to speak out and try to change the system so it doesn't continue. Mm. Well, Dr. Klesig, thank you so much for educating us about this very important topic. I, I learned so many new things in just 20 minutes here, and I'll include links um, you know, I know you gave me a lot of bullet points too, but your website has a is just has a ton of information. So we'll link to that and where people can get those cards. And I appreciate uh, all your work and for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. I will, like I said, mention uh, include all those uh, that important information in the podcast notes. And as always, if you enjoyed this conversation, we ask that you share the link, rate us on your favorite platform, and become a regular subscriber to the Heartland Daily Podcast. Thanks again for joining us. This is Anne-Marie Schieber.